My grandmother tells it, and I'm going to butch this mercilessly because I won't have the right inflections, but, 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 but if I start getting a little weird at points, this is going to uh, be the reflection of that. He was 14 years old, living in Italy. It was a small little uh, hamlet or a town outside of the Florence area, and apparently he got into some trouble with the local mafiosa. Um, specifically, fig rustling. Now, I've heard of cattle rustling. To this day, I have no idea what fig rustling means. I just have a vision of like a cowboy with all these figs that he's trying to sneak out in the middle of the night. I don't know if they were fig farmers and they didn't pay their right share. I don't know if they were um, poor and they were stealing the wrong person's figs. All I know is that somehow figs were Olivio's demise. And he got into the wrong way with the wrong people, and it became clear to the family that he had to get out of the country immediately. And so as a 14-year-old boy, with no family around him, as I understand the story, within 24 hours, they smuggled him onto a ship. Whether he paid his way as steerage or something like that, or, or stowed away in a cargo container, I don't know how that works. But they had some distant relatives in Chicago and they got him on a boat. And in the early 1900s, as a 14-year-old boy, he came to Chicago as his family's attempt to save his life. Now he, uh, he moved in with some distant relatives. Got a couch, I suppose. But he had to make his own way. And the way that he actually started was by shelling pecans and then going down onto Miracle Mile and selling them on street corners. And through the course of his life, it actually proved to be something that he was good at, he was hardworking, and that developed something. Because before he knew it, he went from walking around as a vagrant kid carrying a few little bags, hocking nuts like you'd see at Wrigley, to someone who had a stand. And before you know it, a stand turned into a shop. Pretty soon, he's getting nuts brought in by the crate load, and then the truck load, and then by the boxcar. Now, there's an interesting story like this, I think, in everyone's family's life, the, the what-if story, that at a pivotal moment as he grew and as they were doing nuts by the boxcar, a, 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 a couple of brothers known as the Planters had approached him and said for a $10,000 investment, they would like to go in together. And do you have those moments when you look back at your family history and go, if you only... But he started doing quite well. And as someone doing quite well in Chicago at this era in an Italian neighborhood, suddenly he started to catch the eye of the American mafioso. And the way the story goes is that one day they come into his shop. And they come in and it's two gentlemen dressed in their suits. And they inform him that they're here to protect him against the rampant crime that's going on in the neighborhood. Because organized crime has never been worse and the police are corrupt. And for, in this era, $400 a month, they would ensure that his family would be safe, that his shop would be unharmed, that his business would continue to thrive. Now, as I hear it, you've got to know something a little bit about my, my, my great-grandfather, Olivia. See, despite the 
despite the Italian name. They, they, they were northern Italian, and there was a lot of Teutonic blood. And so he didn't look like your typical Italian. He was blonde-haired, green eyes. As, as they put it to me, he kind of looked like a Viking. He was this big guy with this Italian name, and he ran from Italy because of this, and he did not come to America because of this. And something welled up in that Viking rage inside. Now, as my grandmother tells it, her mom at the time is hearing this, and she's upstairs because, of course, your home is above your shop, and she's crying out, Olivia, Olivia, pay, 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 because she knows what this is going to be. But he didn't come to America. Now, this is in the day before refrigerators, right? And so what he does is he goes and he takes off the wall a pair of these. He takes a pair of these, and he comes up to the guy, red with rage, with that Viking blood in his eyes, and he takes the guy, and he grabs him in it. And he says some things to him that probably aren't polite to repeat in this company, and politely with him in the tongs, you see, escorts him out of the shop. And have you ever had these moments, people, when after the rage subsides, you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Because they realized what this was going to open up. Now, as the family story goes for about the next three to four weeks, the entire Gadini clan, if I can use the Irish phrase, found themselves holed up in their storefront, boarded windows, blocked doors, armed to the teeth with shotguns and pistols, waiting for the bomb to drop. And it never did. Days turned into weeks. And they started to go outside again. Weeks turned into months. Nothing ever came from it. And in reflection, the family had often said, you know, I think they could have probably taken us. I just don't think it was worth their fight. Something got deeply embedded into the Gadini psyche that's been passed on from father to son, from father to son, to me standing right here. And it's things like this. Always be ready. Always be prepared. Always have enough resource on hand that if you have to disappear in the night, you can land on your feet anywhere. Always have enough contacts and friends and families around the globe that you can go underground if you have to. Always be armed enough to the teeth, both physically and in your heart and in your mind, that if you've got to stand and fight, no one is going to stop you. It's kind of gotten into the blood of the thing of this like over like doomsday prepper kind of paranoia that, that has been proudly passed on through the generations. This obsession with being prepared. But it's interesting for me reflecting on the family because with all the emphasis that they put in preparing for physical attack and physical issue, there was never really much talk about how to prepare for spiritual attack and spiritual issues. Now, I've been thinking about this in terms of spiritual attack and uh, how some people go about preparing for spiritual attacks in their lives. Now, I've got some things to show you to demonstrate how this works for people today. Now, in this generation, we've learned from, from the Gadinis that you also have to be prepared for the physical. And so, uh, certain items have made its way into various family members' homes, just in case. Let me show you a couple to get started. They're right here. All right? What do you do if a vampire attacks? 
You have to be prepared. Now, this is my brother Arthur's stake that he carries. And if you really want the resident expert here at Fellowship of Faith on Monster Attacks, you really need to talk to my brother Arthur. He is the, the sage of, of such lore. But there was a proud moment in my life when I saw my daughter Reagan whittling this. And I went, I passed on the Gadini tradition proudly. Maybe you need stakes, or maybe you've seen people carry things like this. The kind of stuff to ward it off, right? Or maybe it's holy water, and I've been told that if you're really in a pinch, running water and thorns is always a good backup. Not recommended, but only if you find yourself in a survival situation. But do you know what else I found? None of this will work effectively on a zombie. <laughs> you have to have the right weapon for the right monster. Agreed? Amen. Yes. Speaking of which, do you know what you do in a zombie attack? Do you know how you ward off a zombie? Ah, it's easy. You turn off their iPhone. <laughs> they turn into 14-year-old girls again. You ever see them? Walking around? Piece of cake. But you know what I found? Is that none of that is effective against a werewolf. That's when you got to come by one of these babies. You see it right there? Do you have some of these in your home? Are you prepared? Because stakes and crosses and holy waters might be good for vampires, but it takes the silver bullet, doesn't it? For the werewolf attack. But do you know what I found? All of these in the world are completely ineffective against warding off demons. And that's actually what I want to talk to you about today, is demon attack. Silver bullets are worthless against your demons. I just read a, uh, an article recently that said the Department of Homeland Security purchased one billion rounds. Now, now frame this. In Afghanistan right now, they are expending about 15 million rounds a month for both mission and for training. Now that's in a war zone, 15 million rounds a month. Do you know how many rounds one billion is? That a Department of Homeland Security was to expend the same amount of rounds that's being expended in Afghanistan per month right now, they would have enough ammo that they purchased this year to last them 66 years. I have no idea what Department of Homeland Security is planning to do with that much ammo. What I do know is this. You could have all of it, and it can be in silver rounds, and it ain't going to do you a bit of difference in fighting off the demons in your life. Because silver bullets like these are powerless against demon attack. Now let me talk to you a little bit about what I mean here. When I'm talking about silver bullets and demons, what am I really getting at? Silver bullet has become uh, a cliche, hasn't it? Hasn't it become a cliche for us to kind of refer to that magic fix to our problems? And I've come to find that when it comes to pop spirituality today, there is an obsession in looking for magic fixes. There is an obsession in looking for spiritual or, or quick fixes to the spiritual problems and brokenness that we have. Because what we've been arguing for these past several weeks is that every single one of us in this room is broken, right? 
And it doesn't feel good to be broken. It hurts, it's frustrating, it's debilitating. We just don't like it. And we've been looking at all these ways that we like to kind of get into our brokenness and try to deal with it. How many times, let's be honest, how many times have we come to the deep brokenness of our lives and looked for something like this to do the trick? But see, what I've come to find is that you and I each of us have demons. Now, don't misunderstand me. What I'm not saying is that each of, us, I, each of us here today are possessed. I do believe that there are real spiritual forces. I do believe that they're demons. But what I am talking about today is the temptations, the sins, the struggles, those failures, you know them? Those failures you have that keep coming up again and again and keep putting you back into that same place again and again that you continually get on your knees before God and go, I can't believe I've done it again. Or it's those parts of our psyche, right? To get even deeper. Those things that make us who we are that are just flawed. And they manifest themselves in all kinds of ugly ways. They pop their head in a thousand of different varieties and it's ugly and it's sick and it's dark and we don't like it and we want it fixed. And isn't it true that so often we look for something like these, what do I do about it? What's my magic bullet? But I'm here to tell you today that all the magic bullets in the world are completely powerless against your demons. You could have a billion of these and you can fire them at your demons day and night and they're going to laugh in your face because our brokenness is something that goes deeper than what a quick fix can solve. Are you with me? You need the right kind of weapon for the right kind of monster. And if you want to fight demons, crosses and holy water and stakes and bullets aren't going to do you anything. What you need to fight a demon is, well, basically a demon slayer. I'd like to introduce you to one today. There's this story in the Gospel of Mark, and it says that Jesus is teaching, and it says that as he's teaching, a man comes into the synagogue. Now, that's a church. So a man comes into church, right? That would be an interesting twist today. And he was possessed by an evil spirit, and he cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Which is not really the, the solicited response you typically look for in a church kind of situation. I know who you are the Holy One of God. So what happens? Jesus says, I mean, just be quiet. Come out of him. And it says the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. It says the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Do you have demons in your life? All the silver bullets aren't going to do you a bit of good. What you need is a demon slayer.
It is the only thing that is effective against the deep-seated brokenness that has come to be you. Silver bullets won't do the trick Despite the fact that it gets promised all the time, if I just do this, then it'll all be better. If I just do that, then this won't be an issue anymore. We've been there, right? If I just find the latest plan, the latest insight, the latest popular way that's working for them, maybe I too won't have demons anymore. And without denigrating the effectiveness of, of simple changes in your life to fix certain things, there does come a point where your condition is so much more broken and so much more beneath the surface, right, than what those simple things will do. The only thing effective against the demons is a demon slayer. It's Jesus Christ and his transformative power. It's him coming into your life and the power of his spirit to transform you. I love it how this one New Testament writer puts it. He says, for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Can I phrase it this way? For what all the quick fixes and silver bullets and commands and decrees and do this and don't do that were powerless to do and that... Our demon-plagued nature were powerless to even carry out. God did. God did. By sending his own son. In order that the righteous requirements might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature. But according to the spirit. It's Christ and his spirit that deal with the brokenness of life. Everything else is like a a horror movie watching the ineffective attempts of maybe plucking away one thing, but for everyone you take down a thousand more are swelling upon you. We've seen it, haven't we? It's Christ and his power and the Holy Spirit changing you from the inside out. That is the only thing that's effective against your brokenness. I think of this where Paul writes to this group of early believers in in Galatia. Actually, very interesting for today. Galatians, um, Gaelic, from Gaul. They were Irish, if you will. And I'm not making that up. When Paul wrote to the Irish, (laughs) you foolish Galatians, Who's bewitched you? I love how Paul puts this. Who's put you into a monster movie? Who's, Who's put a spell over you? What sorcerer is in your life? Before your eyes, Jesus, the demon slayer, was portrayed as crucified. And I want to know just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit of God by observing the law, by by silver bullets and quick fixes? Did you get the Spirit of God by doing the right stuff? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Are you so stupid? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you? Are you? 
It's a question worth asking yourself today. Facing the brokenness and the demons of your life. Have you come to a place where you've, become to tra- where you've come to trade the transformative power of God's spirit in your life for silver bullets? All the silver bullets aren't going to make a bit of difference. Only Jesus can. And it's the message that resounds through the scriptures and the apostles to us today. The solution to our brokenness is not in stuff like these. It's in him. It's in his spirit. And it begins by faith. It begins by saying, I trust you to deal with my brokenness. I trust you to come into my life. It begins with accepting and surrendering to the spirit of God, that demon slayer on high, to come into your life and change you from the inside out. And I want to encourage you today that if in your spirituality you've begun to look for things like these, to lay him at Jesus' feet and to go back to what you learned from the beginning that as Christ crucified, his spirit sent, that has the power to change you. Would you pray with me?